Hi, welcome to the eighth episode of the Customer Support Podcast, and this is your host Sandeep Jain. In this podcast, we invite thought leaders from customer support function from both B two B and B two C companies, so that you can learn about challenges, opportunities, and best practices around setting up a world class support organization. Now, before we begin today's episode, here is a quick message for my audience. Thanks to all of you who have been writing to us. For others, if you have any suggestions on who you would like to see on the show, or what questions you would like me to ask them, etc., please feel free to write to me at host at customersupportpodcast dot com. Once again, that is host at customersupportpodcast dot com. Well, today's podcast is about B two B customer support, and our guest is Iran Ashkenazi. Iran has deep customer centric experience. For the last part of his career, Iran was at Checkpoint Software, the network security giant, where he led the global professional services business. Later, Iran joined Sentinel One, where he is currently the SVP of Global Support and Services. Now, for some of you who may not know who Sentinel One is, you know they are a growth stage cybersecurity company in endpoint security space. They are based out of Mountain View, California. and they have a funding of roughly 110 million dollars and they have an r&d center in israel as well now with that i would like to extend a warm welcome to iran i sandeep thank you for having me absolutely thanks for taking time to speak with us today uh, so iran let, let's jump into this can you elaborate your your journey into customer support now when i was going through your profile you know there's a large large part of your career that you've spent in professional services so Can you tell our audience, you know, what are the similarities between managing a professional services organization and customer support, and maybe how they are different? Right. Um, yeah, sure. I, I can definitely do that. I think that you know, being actually, I started my career in professional services as a consultant, just you know, really being there at the trenches, uh, traveling around the world, and then uh, rarely seeing my home at times. <laughs> and I think that you know, one of the things is that you really get very close customer, like. It as close as as you could possibly be because you're there doing those installations, running the training, and getting that immediate direct feedback. There isn't no buffer. There's no phone or email or anything else to hide behind. And I think that actually professional services, in many many ways, is almost like the most raw form of support. Of course, it does lack a lot of like the scale and the multitude. The, the many customers and tickets that you're working with, rather than it's more like a one-to-one type of relationship. So, I you know when when kind of managing professional services, it was really more about like um, you know operation excellence. It was more about like you know scheduling PNL related uh, activities. It was about knowledge, um, and then there were issues and working closely with support on those issues. Uh, so for me. I felt like I was around support, but I really never was actually engaged in the day-to-day operations. I knew what they're doing, I know how it looks like, but you know, it wasn't really part of my original experience. Got it. Moving. And, yeah, sorry. Go on. No, no, sorry. Go on. I was about to ask you how the transition to the customer support uh, came about. Right. So you know, as I as I was uh, transitioning, for me, it was really doing that on a very small scale. So I. 
I started, you know, I got to a pretty decent scale at Checkpoint when it comes to like professional services. I had a team of, you know, roughly close to like 70 people across 16 countries. Uh, you know, we were doing, I don't know, back then about like 25, $30 million uh, in a year. And then I move into this tiny little startup that just barely, barely got its A round funding, you know, and they're about like less than 15 people. They have no customers, yet I'm joining in as the VP uh, from Checkpoint. I might not have been the support um, experience leader, but I knew well enough to kind of get that started. So for me, it was really a lot of basically uh, growing and learning on the job as I'm taking and implementing things that I've seen and learned at Checkpoint and combining them with a lot of um, you know, aspects that I kind of see as we're growing the company. So moving from 15 people in you know, mid-2014 into 350 people as of today. Wow, that's, the, that's a big jump. <laughs> so you guys are growing tremendously, it seems. Oh, definitely. And, and we're probably going to be around 400 people by the end of this year. So that growth continues. Awesome. And Iran, so that our audience understands the, the context of Sentinel a little bit better, could you tell us a little bit about you know, what your, how your organization is structured, how many people there are, are they still distributed across different countries, um, and who your customers are? Are they like small businesses, small medium businesses, are they big organizations? And this is so that our audience understands you know, what, what sort of support you are expected to, to run. Sure. Sure. So, you know, let me start with the customers. I mean, after all, you know, this is this is what kind of gets uh, bread on our table. And we are a customer first organization. So, you know, today Sentinel One has about 2,500 customers and that is like unique customers. You know, some of them are MSPs that have many, many small SMBs behind them. Most of our customers are actually would con consider to be uh, small to medium enterprises. So in the ranges of like, hundreds of employees to thousands or potentially tens of thousands of employees. And then there's some of the large enterprises and some of them are actually the largest on the planet. We basically are uh, servicing three of the fortune 10 companies. So like that doesn't leave a lot of uh, room for uh, error. You get it. So, I mean, so, so, and I think that when you work with such customers that really dictates the way that you do business, it's a big, big difference between servicing a lot of mom and pop shop and an occasional enterprise to servicing like a lot of companies that are medium size, large size, mega size enterprises, right? And, and that kind of reflects also to the way that the organization is structured in, in time. So, you know, under my kind of leadership, we basically have a couple of different entities. There's a, a support entity, which is the, the larger one. And the support entity is basically including aspects of the traditional support organization. Uh, we got actually a, a basic support uh, tier as well as an escalation tier, which kind of deals more with items that are uh, moving on to sustaining engineering and RD. There's a NOC team, it's in a 24 7 manner and kind of deals with all our, our SaaS production server aspects. We got uh, also a TAM organization, technical account managers, which is basically designated support engineers that are each handling anywhere between four to like seven accounts. And they're basically kind of carrying on their shoulders really the largest accounts and also a separate premium uh, revenue generation. And, you know, lastly, there's like a totally separate organization, which also kind of folds under me, which is our 
uh, managed services, our MDR offering, which is called Vigilance. And, and could you tell what MDR is for the audience who do not know what it stands for? Of course. So MDR stands for Managed Detection and Response. And this is basically a subset of the uh, managed services, the MSP services in general, where uh, it applies mostly to cybersecurity companies. That could be our network security uh, or endpoint security. And we're seeing a lot of adoption by the market. The idea behind it is to provide with customers a way to kind of augment their security operation, their SOC, by adding that additional tier of expertise that is delivered most of the times directly from the vendor or via uh, some kind of a service provider. Understood. And uh, Iran, do you have tiered support? I know you talked about sustaining engineering and, and, a, and a knock, but do you have like a level zero support, a level one support, level two support, so on? Right. So, I mean, you know, mind you, we are a global organization and we have customers from Europe and Asia as well as North America. And whilst the North America business is the, the, the larger or the lion's share, in, uh, you know, in Europe, and it kind of works slightly different. So in the U.S., what we have is really obviously a lot of direct support. So we got engineers that are dealing with all incoming tickets. Uh, when those tickets are either you know, too technically complicated or just require additional eyes or expertise uh, in terms of SMEs, then they move on to the escalation group there. We have engineers that are kind of uh, digging uh, deeper, uh, doing more replication, more work with low-level logging information. And, and part of that group, we also have a couple of sustaining engineers that are basically our gate to R&D. So they would kind of try to provide with some quick fixes, uh, you know, uh, maybe workarounds that might be able to kind of get this whole thing done quicker. And of course, if that doesn't work, then it goes through a, a separate escalation process that goes all the way to our uh, engineering teams, uh, which are mostly located in Israel. So that's, so that's the US. And in Europe, it, we do have you know, large, uh, a large value-added distributor, which is doing most of the tier one. So you could say that you know, um, you know, our EMEA teams are most of the time handling like a tier two tickets and above, um, just, just because of the way that the business works uh, that side of the world. Understood. And could you give us a sense of uh, different uh, channels uh, in which you receive uh, the support calls from your customer? Is it like over the phone, web, email, in fact, social media as well? Or is it a combination of all of the above? Right. So, I mean, uh, so the, the, most, uh, the most popular form, so we basically support uh, web. We have a support portal. Customers get into that portal. We encourage them to do so because there's also a self-help you know, a lot of knowledge-based articles that they can search through and they can basically maybe solve the problem of, the, of their own. I think that most of us, we don't really want to talk to someone if we can kind of solve our own problem. So we're investing a lot in kind of adding documentation and, and making the whole experience better. But that would be one medium. Then the other channels would be phone support. We have a 24-7 phone support for all, like, all levels of support. So, uh, you know, if you're a customer and you're calling, and I got some statistics actually to share, which we're very proud of. We have like a, a 98% SLA rate. And, you know, those calls that we do answer are answered within 32 seconds, basically on average. And that, these are like numbers from the last 30 days. So, you know, the, the phone support works well, but, you know, that, that's kind of different. Some people really like to talk 
to other people. Some prefer not to. So, you know, I would say the majority come through the web. Some comes from phones. So about 50%, 60% through the web, about 20% maybe through phone support. And the rest of it is actually email support. Uh, just email our uh, support alias. And that basically opens a ticket, assuming that you're a, a registered user. And that, you know, that kind of associates automatically with your organization and allows our support engineers to take action. Mind you, we do prefer uh, our customers to actually go through the web just because it helps us to collect a lot more information rather than an email that says, you know, it's like a forward of another email. It has like a weird, you know, subject line and somebody says, help, it's not working, you know, like, and we get those too sometimes. Um, but how do you, how do you encourage that? I, I see, I see the benefit to you because you have more context in solving the problem, but how do you tell the customers that email is not preferable way of asking support? Well, you know, I think that it's it's more about just being uh, really uh, just showing them the value about this rather than just like uh, just telling them to do something. Probably <laughs> won't, won't really listen. Uh, but I think that uh, customers see this for themselves. They open a case via via email, and the next thing is like, oh, on uh, what the, how many machines did this happen? Uh, what is your agent version? Can you answer all these questions? Can you tell me you know this and that? So it becomes like a couple of iterations, and I think that when they open cases through the web you know, they might actually just get a distilled answer on that first reply, which I think that part of what we are trying to do is to reduce friction in general. And I think that, you know, web in that sense and self-help uh, is a great way not only to deflect cases by great knowledge-based articles, but also capture the right information in order to do proper queuing, prioritization, and be meaningful on that first reply. Absolutely. The reason I asked the question was, uh, you know, some of my previous guests have actually completely closed their email channel. And they were bold enough to do that. They said, well, look, if you're sending us a support request through email, it's exactly the same thing, help, something is broken. And it'll take us anyways a long time to figure out what the problem is. So they, they took that drastic step of closing that channel. So that, I found that interesting actually, because I, as yeah. a customer, I would expect support at company.com should always work. You know, That's just my expectation yeah. as a customer, but it was kind of unique. But to your point about letting customers go through the web and asking them the set of questions, I've heard different points of view on that. Now, one is, well, customer knows best on what's happening in their network so they can answer those questions. But another point I've heard is, look, if, I'm, if the product that I'm using is a SaaS product, right, shouldn't my vendor know everything that they're supposed to know already? Like, why am I being asked to fill in those things? Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, you know, that's a great point. I think that one thing that we should kind of, uh, I should probably talk about is the fact that we're like, we're probably like half SaaS. And, and why is that? Because, you know, as, a, as an endpoint security company, uh, guess what? We do endpoint security, which basically means that we're installing actual agents for a Windows machine and a Windows for a Mac machine and a Windows for a Linux server, et cetera. And then all the other server infrastructure, like what those agents would report to, what defines the policy, what manages the threats, that is on the cloud. So yes, we have a lot of information. So what we're trying to do is to only ask the bare minimum. Like we won't ask you anything that we already know. Like we won't ask you what's your agent version if you, you know, but we will ask you for a machine name. If you give us a machine name and we know who you are, we don't need to ask you what's your management server. We know that. We don't need to ask you which, which's your version. We know that as well. If you're talking about a threat, you know, we just need to, to ask you to send us like a link to the thread or a SHA-1. We can do the rest. So we're really trying to minimize the amount of questions, but I totally hear you. Like as a, you know, if I would be a 
fully SaaS company, I would probably even ask less questions. As a hybrid SaaS company with agents on machines, I do need to ask just a couple. Interesting. And, but do you think that technology exists? Uh, because when I've talked to leaders once again, and from product leaders as well, you know, they are running the product. And sometimes the, the supportability of a product is not either thought of or thought of to the detail or the extent that support team needs. So actually, so my related question is, do you think the technology or the best practices exist for SaaS companies out there where, where the knowledge from the product gets or the dashboards or the information gets sort of transmitted to the support with ease, like without any pain? Or do you think that's an uphill battle for any new startup that is trying to sort of bridge the gap between support and the product? Well, you know, it's a deep, I think that on, again, I think that a fully kind of SaaS company probably has a slightly better way or easier way to do that. Uh, for us, it's, it, I wouldn't say if it's an uphill battle, but I would definitely say that we're not in the utopian condition. There are still ways to make things easier in terms of like automatic health reporting and like maybe just making like this simple button when you know, press it and that take the context of where you are and what you're doing. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that there will be additional enhancements on that particular area that will make our lives easier from like a support professional standpoint, as well as from a user experience, for sure. Right. Got it. And actually, that's a good segue to my next question, Iran. And this is about what is the support tool stack that you're using? And this is a question that I ask my old guests. Uh, so like, what is a call center solution that you're using? What is a case management search? customer community, knowledge management, et cetera? I've kind of set up most systems uh, in the company. As I said, when I joined, you know, 15 people here, right? So I was kind of bored as a post-sale VP because they're, uh, they, I had a lot of time on my plate. So I, <laughs> most of our uh, support systems are based around Zendesk. So case management would be Zendesk. Anything related to uh, our uh, knowledge-based articles, customer community, that's all Zendesk. But then we do have a couple of other things on top. So for example, uh, for mail campaigns that relates to support and success, we're actually using MailChimp and Marketo. It depends on the type of campaign. For survey management, we're using SurveyMonkey. For our call systems, we're using TalkDesk. Got it. And do you use anything for uh, search? like searching across knowledge management and customer community, or is this Zendesk native search? So, so right now with Zendesk, I couldn't say that I'm like ecstatic about the, the abilities. I honestly haven't seen something that works really well. I know that there's a couple of companies that are kind of uh, in that area, in Realm. We did try this, this one plugin on Zendesk and that basically broke our old uh, systems. I don't even remember the name, but like we definitely need to get back at this. And the reason for that is that as we're growing, there are many, many more knowledge-based articles. The number of views that we're getting are also growing exponentially. So we definitely want to make things easier and just using the basic tools that are bundled with those systems. We're kind of, you know, they were kind of good like three or four years ago. And just fast forwarding to today, they just they just need like a little like a push, a gentle push. So we'll see if it's like just adding a couple of, you know, systems or add-ons on top or whether it's a different system altogether. Understood. And Iran, you talked about earlier that customers going to the web and somehow getting their questions answered and not filing a case, which is traditionally referred to as case deflection. 
Mm-hmm. Do you use any specific technology there or is it that you just tell your customers to look through FAQ? So there's a couple of things. Of, uh, when they open tickets, it does, based on a couple of keywords, it does offer a couple of knowledge-based articles that match those keywords. So that, that makes it somewhat easier. And then some customers, they're just used to it. You know, we haven't invented any wheel, right? They're, they're using other vendors that have other knowledge-based systems. And they kind of got used to the fact where the way that it works is that you open a ticket and you get answer, which includes a KB, right? An article. And you get it once or twice. The third time, you kind of, as a customer, you kind of feel like, you know what? Let me search for myself. Know, the trouble slash embarrassment, whatever, of like having someone sent me a link to <laughs> something that I already have access to. And I think that that's part of it. And then the other part is, as I said, when they open the ticket and they basically get some suggestions. And again, that's baked in the, in the product. It's nothing specific that we're using or adding. And do you currently measure this sort of case deflection? Like how many times a customer came to your website and left happily uh, with an answer without filing a case? Did you measure that? I mean, yes, we are measuring it, but the, uh, the way that we're, we're orchestrated is that the actual knowledge base management is, uh, is part, of our, uh, part of our product management organization. So uh, normally I don't, uh, I don't deal with that on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the numbers are there. Last time I've checked, the, the percentage wasn't high enough. So I think that you know, part of it relates to going back to those uh, discussions on the systems, the kind of uh, what we're using. Uh, I think it was barely less than 10%. But by the way, 10% is what I hear from most of my guests. So at least in terms of the people I've talked to, that number sounds sounds about right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, but, uh, you know, we have still work to do there. I'm, it could I'm, be better, yes. <laughs> so on, on that note, though, it seems like you're using completely Zendesk for most of your support functions. But is there is there something missing in this Zendesk technology tool stack where you think if if somebody were to do this for me, either like Zendesk or as an app on Zendesk or maybe a different product, that it would change your life. Your life or your your the life of your people. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also a great question. Um I think well there's a couple of things. We are looking at alternatives and obviously the first candidate that comes to mind is, you know, there's a couple service cloud from Salesforce comes to mind. If there's anything that kind of bothers me, well, there's a couple of things. Two, primarily, one would be the ability to provide proper channel support. So support that's been delivered by other third parties for the, for the tier one or the tier one and two, and have that manageability within Zendesk isn't that straightforward. And then the second thing is the general integration with Salesforce. I mean, they have an app, it has a couple of abilities. We've been like breaking a lot of uh, legs trying to get this thing to work properly and consistently across time. So I think that that was like a painful thing for me. And, and if there was like a, a thing, you know, an app or, or again, maybe like I said, maybe it's just moving to a different platform. It would be definitely something that's a, that I would like to see. So between these two things, those relate directly to Zendesk. And then a third thing, it's just related to customer success in general, which is another task that uh, I have in the company as we're kind of going more to the growth stage. And that mostly is something that Zendesk simply can't help with. Uh, mind you, the data in Zendesk, if it uh, properly propagates into the Salesforce platform, that could be, uh, 
that thing that could really make a difference. Actually, you, you brought up these three very interesting points, and I'd like to spend some more time on each of those, if that's okay with you. Sure. Uh, so the first thing that you talked about, which I think most B2B companies have to deal with, is this channel support thing, right? Where these, uh, the people who are providing support are not your employees, but they are uh, the distributor or your channel partner who's providing mm-hmm. support. Mm-hmm. And so, but the, the knowledge base and everything is now Zendesk based, which is you guys have access to. So do you give them access to your Zendesk as well? Or like, how does that work? Right, right. So this is exactly, that's the, that's the pain point. So there are, there are various ways. Yeah. Uh, there are various ways to kind of get that integrated. The, the issue is that I haven't, I haven't seen any way that, worked for us so we were offered all sorts of you know ways around this from like various Zendesk success uh, people consultants and what's not you know every customer has access to our uh, support partners potentially have access to a slightly more advanced level uh, so they might see some more articles that are related to their day-to-day job as you know troubleshooters or tier one troubleshooters but the reality is that there isn't a, a simple enough mechanism to kind of connect all these dots and that's that's definitely one of the challenges that I also have for this year. So, oh, I see. Uh, and so that would mean sometimes like your employees might have more access to information than your channel partners. That is correct. And, and I mean, generally, I, you know, employees will have more access for various obvious reasons. But I think that the problem that, that we have today is some of it is related to access. Some of it is related to supportability, to some tools or ability of partners to actually get into low-level log data events uh, on their own. And then, and the rest of it is just the process itself. How do you keep the context of a ticket when, you know, a ticket is handled by uh, the partner and then the partner opens a separate ticket but wants to capture that information from, you know, that initial ticket, et cetera. So, you know, we're still doing some thought process around that. Uh, I see. And the partners could be using their own ticketing system, right? Exactly, yes. Wow, okay. Is, is there a, forgetting like Zendesk, I know you're using a Zendesk right now, but is there a best in class ticketing product just for this use case, which is a two tiered support where the first tier is managed by a different entity and the second tier is the vendor itself? So I don't know of any particular one. I would kind of assume that um, if it's a very generic, a very popular platform, like Salesforce, maybe there's a chance that something can be done there. I don't know. But like, what I think that my challenge is, is I don't, it's not, I don't care so much what kind of other ticketing system might be used, but having the ability to know when a partner logs in, what are the exact customers that are associated with that partner? What kind of geographies are relevant? This is a type of a CRM function yeah, then this just doesn't have that abilities. And this is where I think that a platform that is more a CRM platform or integrates better with a CRM could actually have a better implementation. I see. So I think your comment was mostly around the customer information, not so much as the ticketing information migrating from one. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, either way, what you expect is that, you know, and, and mind you that in Europe, a lot of times the reason why there is like another tier uh, or another like channel for support is because a lot of it re- relates also to language barriers. So there are, you know, you got in Europe, you speak like, you know, tens of different languages and, and customers in Germany actually would like to open probably cases and talk to or, or pick up the phone and talk to their support rep 
from their uh, local partner in German, uh, rather than trying to, you know, get someone with a, with a, you know, heavy uh, uh, Israeli accent on the phone from the from the <laughs> Tel Aviv side, right? So, like, I think that it also serves like another another purpose. You want to have, you know, you're providing localized support in in those areas through the channel partners, and then they distill, they provide the first tier, they distill the information and open those tickets with you, if need be. Interesting. And and the second point that you mentioned was about integration between Zendesk and Salesforce. And mm-hmm. I, I suppose you were referring to, well, give me more information about the customer, which is in the Salesforce sales cloud. And the ticketing information is in Zendesk. And a lot of guests, by the way, my earlier guests have have spoken about the the issue between the two but what are the some of the heavy ticket items that you think are broken in this integration today and something that you would like to see sort of magically working it's actually like a it's a painful topic i'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm spending too much time on this already well first of all the integration between salesforce and zendesk on on that side of things like salesforce to zendesk works only from the account level so when you're trying to have some opportunity-related information, you have to roll it up on, this, on the Salesforce side to the account level. Not always it's doable, not always it's simple. It basically means that every time you get a piece of information, Salesforce admin and a Zendesk admin to kind of get together around the table. And sometimes you, that's even not enough. So, so I think that you know, that part is sometimes it's painful because you can only get stuff from the account level. It means that you need to roll everything up to the account level. The other part is just the way back from, from Zendesk to Salesforce, mostly on the ticketing side of things. And you know they have all sorts of integrations, but none seem to be bringing in the data in an easy way that provides actual manipulation and reporting. Yes, you could look into an account and see the tickets in a visual force, for example, applet, but like actually getting a field to populate with like X tickets are urgent and X tickets are open and stuff like that. That actually requires additional, you know, additional kind of work beneath the surface and like development work on the Salesforce side. And that's kind of annoying and, you know, it's costly and it takes time. Are you trying to flow the information from Salesforce sales cloud into Zendesk? Is, is that what the, the idea is? It's, it's actually, it's a bit of both. So let, let's go and, and just explain, right, what's the rationale, right? So like, I would like, you know, and I think that every support leader would like the engineers and the managers to be able to know what you know what they're working on like uh this actually like knowing if is it a high value customer is it like a poc versus an actual customer is this customer due uh to renew in like a couple of months maybe the renewal is coming those things could kind of change the whole temperature and speaking of temperature then maybe you can synchronize the success temperature of the account or if there's like a a particular owner, like a technical account manager or a sales account manager. If you can sync those data, those data points into Zendesk, then it makes it easier to know who to reach out to. You can create automatic triggers based on that. That part of the synchronization, which um, it actually it works eventually, right? But you know, it takes a little bit of tinkering, uh, and that provides a lot of insight on the support size of the th- of the business and support leadership and support engineers. And then the way back, like taking tickets and showing them up on Salesforce, that provides information more so from a renewal team, a customer success team, a sales leadership, or just a pre-sale engineer running a POC that when he kind of go through their, his or her POCs, they see 
that there are X amount of tickets and there's an urgent ticket that was open yesterday or something, they have full visibility and they can assess the situation. So that information is actually information that's needed on both ends. So to, the, the first part actually makes complete sense. But for the second part, why couldn't these sales uh, folks like account managers and sales engineers, why can't they log into Zendesk and get the information directly from there? They can, but then you know what? You'll be missing of other pieces of information. So first of all, anytime you, know, you have to log into like two, three, four systems to get the information that you need, <laughs> that's, where, that's where the problem starts. And it's just that's because people are lazy. People like to run reports. And you could do this on a, on a specific account, for sure, you're right. But what if you wanna see your renewals in the next three months? You're a renewal manager, or a renewal account manager, or you're like an SC and you wanna see all your POCs and their status. You can't do that. You can't go in like one account after the next. What if you have 300 accounts due to renewal in the next four months? So, like, so that is one of the reasons why we want the data in Salesforce. The other reason is that, you know, as we're kind of building our own customer health score, We'd like to take into account other things apart from just tickets. We'd like to look at the things like feature adoption and seat adoption, right? We sell our solution by number of seats, like number of agents. So we'd like to know about them or, you know, about that. So for us, having all of that information in one platform it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the only one that kind of sits in the middle of all of it is Salesforce. Uh, Zendus is definitely not a CRM platform. Understood. And you talked about this interesting thing about the health score. Are you sort of collecting it on a separate platform or, or how, how is this working out? So, you know, right now we've, we've, we had a couple of iterations around this. We're kind of getting into like, you know, health score, health score kind of 2.0 and redoing some of the work actually. But the idea behind it is that we'd like to look at various aspects of the customer, which kind of affects their journey and you know, potentially their temperature and their happiness and their likelihood to renew, their referenceability, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that includes things like, of course, obvious, right? Like when did they got on board? How many you know, seats they bought? How many they deployed? What kind of versions are they running? If they're on the latest, there are greater chances that they're gonna be happier than being like on stale versions. Tickets they have been, uh, you know, what is which time to resolution or response time that they're getting? All of these little pieces bits of information could come together, you know, in some kind of a basic formula even to create one score that could generally differentiate and create like a very basic stoplight, like, you know, red, yellow, green type of, uh, of analysis of seeing where do you need to put your attention. I love this thing that you're talking about. I think I'm just curious, do you write an app on Zendesk for this or do you collect this information from different systems and you're running this separately? So what we decided to do eventually, uh, and, and we were somewhat successful in that, and now we're kind of doing it a little bit different and then maybe more, is actually to consolidate that information in Salesforce. And then the idea behind it is that to bring that information, and why Salesforce is because Salesforce is kind of the, the source yeah, right. of truth. Yeah. And Salesforce also has all the accountness-related information, so account manager, SE, all the various contact points, success owners, stuff like that. And, you know, we're utilizing some propriety system that we've built in order to gather some of that information. As I said, we're kind of hybrid cloud. So we do have a lot of data points that we can collect from our cloud. Anonymized data points, you know, numbers, uh, versions, uh, you know, a lot of these stuff, feature adoption. And then, you know, Zendesk tickets coming obviously from the Zendesk side of the business. Uh, and then all of that consolidated in 
Salesforce. And then what we've done in the past, we used our own kind of code written underneath the surface on Salesforce in order to generate that, those scores. But this year, we're kind of considering maybe also to utilize additional, you know, some kind of a application on top. And, you know, there's a couple like Tatango and Gainsight and, and you know, client success and, you know, all sorts of, of applications that can give you all sorts of like histogram scores and nice graphs and reports, et cetera. So that will be an interesting thing for me. And, and actually, I'm kind of looking, it will be interesting to kind of get in touch with some of the uh, people that talked on this forum to kind of see what they're doing, you know, on that part and, and you know, what they're happy with or unhappy with. I hope you're, you have a community coming up. So, <laughs> yes. So uh, I think this probably relates to your third point, which was about customer success, which you said was missing in Zendesk. And probably this is what you're, you're telling right now. Mm-hmm. This is a solution that will help you get there. Like these are the things you need, a health score of your customers. No, definitely. Understood. And uh, a last point on this. So you must be hearing from your CEO then, if the source of truth is Salesforce, why not Service Cloud? Right? Why Zendesk? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're barging into an open door here. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, th- these days with the with Zendesk, Zendesk is it uh, it services uh, you know uh, almost three thousand customers. The you know dozens of, uh, of service agents work with it. Uh, we're, we're dealing with approximately just on the support side of things, not knock, not anything else. We're dealing probably with about. I would say 22 to 2,500 tickets in a month. Uh, so now moving in from Zendesk to uh, something else is also a big migration project. So have we thought about Service Cloud? Definitely. But in terms of like timing uh, and in terms of like manpower, this is something that we need to take into consideration, how to make it seamless and make sure that we're not doing anything just because, you know, just because, you know, all the data is in Salesforce, right? It needs right. to be the really best system for the engineers working on it. And the reason, you know what, I, the reason why I mentioned this question was, and you know, I, I have nothing to do with Salesforce here, but one of the things that I've seen in technology companies, especially startups, is the first sales CRM that you're going to use is almost always uh, um, the sales cloud uh, from Salesforce. Mm-hmm. The ticketing system, however, is never, ever service cloud. Because what I've been told is it's expensive, it's difficult to configure. And when you're a startup, you're just trying to get up something running quickly. And you go to Zendesk site, you sort of buy this thing and the support center is working now, right? Because the, the workflows are s- simple, the UI looks amazing and everything goes. But once the startup goes from a seed funding to series A to series B to series C, once you're getting more mature, more customers, more channels, that's when you know the, the growing pains of how do I integrate my CRM data from my sales cloud to the ticketing information from Zendesk comes along. And I've seen everybody in this uh, sort of dilemma, should I move or should I not? But the, the next thing that they're considering always is service cloud. I mean, there's a lot of ticketing solutions outside, but they're not looking at anything else. So to me, that seems very interesting is by the fact that a company made a decision to use sales cloud earlier on, you know, that sort of defines what ticketing they would use probably seven years down the line. That's, that's somehow was kind of unique, unique to me, at least. You know what? You hit the nail on the head, Sahib, really. And if, there's, if anyone from like Salesforce uh, hears this blog, I would tell to them, <laughs> you guys need to come up with a super simple, quick start, and easy and affordable offering for those <laughs> small, small startups. So when they grow, and they will grow, most of them will, 
then they will already be part of your systems. Because this is exactly what drove me. I mean, back in the day, I probably had like a, what was it, like a $125 a month for like all features included for an agent. And then I get like the, the portal and I get like the knowledge base, I get the ticket system integrations and unlimited APIs and, and like, you know, in all those apps that, you know, so it's like I had everything and it was simple and it works and it still works. But like, I think that there are some, you know, sometimes when I'm, I'm thinking about that move and, and again, we're evaluating this. This is definitely like a project for us to do in Q3. Mind you, I, I stepped uh, into this global role in mid-March. So I'm the kind of like, I'm, I'm finishing my 60 days basically. So it's, it's just really the part where we're starting to act and we're starting to do a little bit more strategic planning for the rest of the year right now. And that's definitely part of it. You know what, when I was thinking about what I just told you, it seems that I'm telling the service cloud sales guys to knock on your door now. So, uh, so I'll, I'll, they, already, they already did. They already did. Don't worry about it. Okay. So, and we're talking. <laughs> All right. Just, just joking there. You're not going to get that commission check. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I don't get either, but I'm just giving a cue to them now. So. <laughs> I should then. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so on that related note about this technology and making it easier for customers, what about chatbots? And I'm not talking about a chat with your agent, but a chatbot where a customer or a partner can, can get their answers sort of from this particular chat interface. That's another thing that I think I haven't seen anything that actually actually works. <laughs> that that is frustrating. Have you looked at uh, solutions out there? So I, I, I looked at, I mean, I, not recently, but uh, I mean, there's, there's actually one company, they're like a, they're a very small startup they're called Genie, which are doing like a very interesting thing on uh, NLP kind of uh, thing. So with like using AI and NLP, they're like, because the, the problem with chatbots is that if you ask them the question in a certain manner, you may get the answers. You ask it slightly different. Don't. And which, which is something that would never happen with a human. So I think that before chatbots, I would go like to say, you know, will I integrate chats? I would, but I, I would start by like having a chat channel and then maybe adding some bot functionalities on top of that just to see if it's efficient or not. Nice. Uh, but just a bot by itself, I just think that it's like, have you ever tried talking to Siri? Like half of the time, I just want to throw the phone away, right? So like, I, I don't want to have an experience for my, for my uh, end users, especially since they're all enterprise users, right? They're not like really end, end users to have like talking with something that kind of doesn't, you know, doesn't understand them, doesn't give them the right answers. Like, I don't know. Fair. No, no, but, that's, that's sort of the consistent feedback that I hear from my guests, that there is no chatbot technology that is B2B ready. At least I haven't, uh, I haven't heard so far. Yeah, yeah. And but on that note, do you have a chat function with your agents, a live chat function with your agents functionality, or not today? So uh, the only chat chat function that we have is actually on our public website. There is a, a BDR team that answers uh, chat, which is mostly just about the brand. You know, it's more like a sales lead type of chat. And, you know, from time to time, they do get like someone says, hey, you know, this is not working, whatever. So uh, they do like a proper uh, routing. We haven't actually started using chat. And this is something that I've seen in, in, in previous 
companies that I worked at that it's actually pretty efficient just from the, the, the sake of like, if you compare it to a phone, when an engineer is on the phone, it's like one engineer, one customer, one engineer is on a, is on a chat session. That engineer can actually run probably even three, maybe four different chat sessions at the same time and still have a, a pretty good satisfaction rate from, from all of them. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking into that. It's something to do, 2019, second half. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, do you build any tools internally? I know there is, you talked about there's a Zendesk admin earlier, but are there any some serious development that happens? Um, and I know you're, you're a startup, but though a late stage startup, but in the support, do you do any heavy development work? Actually, there is, but it's not like on the classic support. So remember, we talked about uh, that MDR service, that managed service that I run called Vigilance. Right. We actually done a lot of in-house development and there's like a, a full-blown system, an analyst response system that we've built in-house. I was kind of, you know, when I, when I spun off that part of the business, I was kind of fortunate uh, or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, to be like a product manager for that. So I made all the, uh, the specs and the stories related to that and worked very, very closely with R&D. And we basically managed to bring up a solution that is just, you know, on spec exactly to what we were looking to do. So the, I, I'd say that that is the, the, the glaring type of, you know, really you know, in-house product development that we've done around supported services. Apart from that, you know, all sorts of like small tools, log processing mechanisms, things that kind of help, you know, the engineers day-to-day -day be a little bit easier when they look like at a log sample and it kind of highlights stuff for them or, or you know, calculates stuff for them. But like, in, you know, that would be like more on the simplistic side of things. Understood. And, and one of the things that I've heard from my guests uh, in this area was around, well, when the cases come, the agents have, like, they have to log into different systems to get information, which is either sales cloud for who the customer is, you know, renewals and whatnot. Then they have to log in, of course, to the product usage system to understand, you know, what this con customer has configured. Uh, then they will have to log into a log system like Splunk or whatever they're using. And then knowledge base and then engineering ticketing system, which is usually Jira. So some of the people I have spoken with are trying to sort of collect all this information together so as to make the life of an agent simpler. But what they have come back and said that this is a huge complex technology undertaking for them. Is this something that you have dealt with? Some, something that you've thought about? Yeah, for sure. I think that, well, you know, part of this is why I invested like, uh, probably, you know, the last month with, you know, various meetings with both Zendesk and our sales ops folks and some of our own leadership and support to kind of fix uh, that, that Salesforce to Zendesk synchronization when I, that I talked about, because we want to kind of make uh, the visit to Salesforce redundant for, for our engineers. So like you can take out some of the systems if you're able to bring some of that information into the ticketing system somehow. So that will be like at least one system they don't have to log into, but you're, you're, you're very right about like some of the other stuff uh, for us, at least, you know, the logs and the data are kind of all consolidated in that same management platform that the customer is using. But yes, you still need to go into some one platform in order to uh, get access to their own console and, you know, to be able to pull some of the data and the logs and, 
it is a real problem. And then if you open a, a, a issue in engineering, then you have to do that too. But you know, put that in mind, our escalation rates to date are approximately, I'd say 7%, uh, probably a little bit less. So 7% of tickets actually escalate it's, you know, to that third or fourth system isn't always the case, right? I so if we, if we took down Salesforce because we properly synchronize it and assuming like only six to 7% gets escalated, then for the rest of the time, yes, you do need to access one or two other systems. And it will be nice to consolidate them too, but it's kind of difficult. They're all like, they own their different animals, you know? <laughs> sure. And, and very quickly, uh, you, were, you said earlier you're using uh, TalkDesk as a call center solution. Uh, and do you think it integrates well into this Salesforce, Sales Cloud, and Zendesk ecosystem? Or um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say much about Salesforce. Actually, we're not really using any particular integration with Salesforce. The integration with Zendesk is it's pretty basic, but it's working. So we get you know we get the tickets created. You know we see who's calling, and some of it relates to having the information. So if if on the Zendesk side, you know the user, you have their phone number. So when they call from that phone number, it would automatically create a ticket for them on that particular organization. If you don't have that information, then you know it's kind of a little bit more tricky. But but that integration works okay. It's very basic, uh, and and I think that that should also be driven by knowing who your customer is. Because if you know where they're calling from and you have that data, then those uh, associations become more net, you know natural and automatic. Otherwise, it, yeah, it's a little bit cumbersome. And Iran, this is all amazing because uh, when I talk to the support leaders, especially for young startup companies, they're trying to grapple with some of the same challenges that you're talking about, which is a call center integrating with a ticketing with a sales system. So all of this information that you're giving us is, uh, is very welcome today. Sure. And uh, do you think customers need a mobile app for support? So uh, you're talking about customers or you're talking about our agents, the Not support even. agents? Uh, the customer. So I'll give an example. So I'm, I have a product on the side, whatever I build it, and my service runs on Google Cloud, for example. And uh, I've downloaded their app, the Google Cloud app, and uh, I never open it, by the way. But what it tells me is that sometimes when it sees logs that it's not supposed to see or it has not seen in a sometime, it gives me a notification so that I can look into what's happening in my system before customers start complaining. And mm-hmm. I was trying to see that experience. Let's say if I was managing your partners, I'm managing Sentinel One for their hundreds of customers, and there's something wrong goes on your side on the system. Uh, I would like to be notified on my phone as a as a phone notification. And uh, let's say, let's say if I file a case and somebody posts an update, that update needs to be uh, I should, shouldn't be notified about that on my phone as well. So collapsing all these workflows which are embedded in email today to a app-centric system. Now, this was just a thought uh, in my head, but do you think that is, the, is that necessary or is this uh, good to have? Is this must-have? I mean, it's, you know what? It's interesting because what you're saying is that, you know, Zendesk, for example, today has an app, but those, that app is geared towards the agents and the support leadership. Uh, what you're saying is that would like customers like to have an app instead of just getting emails or trying to like, you know, log into a web app, basically. And I think that there is, a, I mean, it would be nice if like, you know, Zendesk would like pick, you know, pick that opportunity and, and, and create something and you maybe have another differentiator. 
but I don't know how critical that is. Like, I'm, I'm not really sure. You know, there's, there's a limit to what you could do on a phone. You get notification also on those emails. So I'm like, I'm a little bit ambiguous about these things. Like there's a lot of times there's a lot of data. There could be attachments. It could be all sorts of things. So it, it's, it's kind of superficial, but it could be nice. I mean, just getting yet another notification, maybe also on your smartwatch. <laughs> uh, you know, ticket was uh, marked as resolved. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Now, the, the thing that was interesting to me was not just ticketing information, but something that probably collapses. It's like a Shopify for support. Like there is a, a Sentinel One app on the phone where the customer can see their past purchase history, like an Amazon app, right? Where I know what I purchased on Sentinel One, how many agents I have, and uh, I can report a case. Uh, anyway, so that's that's sort of what I was thinking. Oh, that, actually, that's, I mean, so we, we at, at Sentinel One, we have like a beta app, right? And that beta app allows you to kind of, log into your console and, and, and see some stuff. So I think that is like, can we make, it's not about just an app. Can we take the support information and you know the additional customer interactions and bring them more to where the customer lives? And if the, our customer lives within our own, the realm of our own console, for example, our cloud console that they have, then maybe show it there. And then if they have also an app to do the same thing, then also provide some notifications on that app. That's actually not a bad idea. And, and that's a direction that I see us definitely getting into eventually. Like in product, not just in product notifications, but in product support maybe. I see. And that kind of makes sense. Well, there's all sorts of things. So, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously we look at first response times and we look at time to resolution. And we look at queues generally, and we look at status of tickets in those queues. So, you know, we'd like to see like at the end of a shift, uh, as, as less tickets as possible that are in the open state and the language of Zendesk, that means that these are tickets that need to be handled by agents. Uh, we rather see like pending and, and on hold states, which in our world represent tickets that the, the ball move to kind of the customer court where kind of provide a workaround or, or some ideas or some additional information. Uh, or it could be like an escalation to uh, you know sustaining engineering and R and D, and that's another thing that we measure. We definitely look at customer satisfaction. We've done a, a few NPS surveys, not much lately. Uh, we probably need to get back to that. But there's customer satisfaction that goes out on every closure of a ticket, and uh, you know we get decent. It's Got last it. I checked was about twenty-ish percent, pretty good. And, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff. It depends. There's some things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, some things on a weekly or a monthly basis, and some things that are also only comes, you only come down to them when you're doing like general performance review season, you know, which is twice a year. So, it, you know, it depends. Got it. And so we have come to the end of our, our podcast here. But uh, before we go, actually, the second last question for you, what is your advice to a CEO or, or a support leader for an early stage startup? who are just establishing this, this organization, and, and let's say they're a SaaS organization, any pointers or advice to them, what to do, what not to do, that they can use? Well, uh, definitely. I'd say first thing is invest uh, heavily in your core team. I think that having a very strong leader from Go is important. Uh, I know that sometimes it's just it's easier just to get someone that was like a support engineer somewhere or a team lead and say, hey, come over, be our director of support. Uh, but the reality is that you want that done this before, that went through uh, a scale uh, that maybe also came from a large company can bring that information. The second thing I would say would be systems. You know, don't be cheap. Like make sure that you look at what's your end goal 
And it's, I mean, you don't have to buy systems that are good for like five years from now, but like make sure that you buy a system that will, you know, generally be compatible with what you're trying to do in the next year or two at minimum. And then, you know, the, the third thing is, I mean, it kind of connects back to that first leadership uh, thing. It's, it's generally about people. It's making sure really to invest a lot in the core team. That first experience that you're providing to your customers, as well as the DNA that you're creating in that organization will be very, very impactful. Make sure that you bring people that understand the business because, you know, in our kind of say reality, it's always a one team wins, one team loses kind of mentality. And that's the only thing that really gets companies to be customer centric. The reality is that when you look at technologies on every technology, on every offering, you'll have multiple companies, sometimes dozens of competitors. And even the ones that all say that they're like the newest and the best, they all speak the same buzzwords, the same terms, you know, whether it's AI or this or that. And really what differentiate the companies is not, I mean, probably they have different technology, but nobody really gets that, right? Because they all use the same buzzwords. It's really about the experience, the customer experience, the customer support. So I think that it has an even more emphasis in today's world, especially in SaaS business, than it has to had maybe in the past. Very well said, Iran. And the last question, uh, can you share with some audi- with the audience uh, one or some of your favorite business books? And they may not necessarily uh, be related to customer support, but something that you found interesting. Well, I mean, I mean, generally speaking, you know, I, I'm not an avid reader. You know, <laughs> my mom probably wouldn't like to hear that. But like, you know, I, I tend to spend my time a lot of times like just, you know, reading various Harvard Business Review articles, which kind of, tend to kind of open my eyes on all sorts of things. When I, when I do read, I'd like to read stuff that are outside of what I'm doing. And sometimes you'd be surprised when you're like, you know, you could read like articles on like Wired or like even on a car magazine. And all of a sudden you can get an idea of like, oh, that's like, I could like do something about that. I could implement something from that. So I'm, I'm trying to think outside the box when I can. Uh, I probably should do a little bit more, <laughs> but like, but that's me. So I'm like uh, an AV person. Than a <laughs> most of us are these days uh, like that so hey iran on that note thank you so much for your time today i love the insights uh, today especially around this uh, integration problem of different tools in support so thank you very much again for your time today oh uh, sure thank you for having me and uh, you know maybe we can talk again in a year or two and see where things are <laughs> <laughs> absolutely